Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 71 of Life and Lessons. This week, you're going to hear a conversation I had with Ben Pearson. Ben was in West Yorkshire Police for 19 years, ending up in the Forces Traffic Unit, where you may have seen him on Channel 5's Police Interceptors. A series of life events caused Ben to eventually leave the police for the benefit of his own mental health, and now he spends his time creating conversations around mental health and the impacts of policing. In the next hour, you're going to learn what checks the police are really making when they're behind your car, and what plays into their decision as to whether or not they pull you over. How a police chase really unfolds and the countless observations and considerations that go into the act of stopping a car. The real world mental health impacts of being in the police and having to deal with death and destruction day after day. What Ben's doing to change the mental health narrative in the police to help others who are going through the very same things that he has already experienced and so much more. This conversation is a really interesting one, but it's also a really important one. On the one hand, I got to ask all of the questions that I've always wanted to ask to a traffic police officer who has pursued and stopped countless cars and countless criminals. But on the other hand, to hear Ben's story, to learn of the things that he has been through and for him to share the reflections that he's taken away from those challenges is really important. And I think it's something that everybody needs to listen to. Just a quick side note before we start, the audio quality on this one isn't the best. It sounds like the software that we were using to record has kind of taken both of our background noises and merged it into the track so that every time I speak, you can hear the background noise. But just know that everything that Ben has to say can be heard loud and clear, and that's what's important here. And just one more thing, if you're new here, do make sure that you're subscribed to Life and Lessons on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening to this podcast right now. There are so many more great conversations just like this one coming your way this year, and I don't want you to miss them. But in the meantime, here it is. Episode number 71 of Life and Lessons with Ben Pearson. So look, I want to start with the police-shaped elephant in the room because I've only been driving for six months and, you know, my car's taxed, it's insured, it's MOT'd, and I think I drive fairly well within the speed limit. And yet, every time I see a police car behind me, I shit myself. And I'm not alone. I asked my followers on Instagram and they all seem to suddenly turn into clumsy, nervous drivers when the police are behind them to the point where actually I spoke to a friend of mine in the police and she says that she does the same. Is there any truth in this idea that reasonable, good drivers, the second somebody like you in a police car pulls up behind them, just turn to a bag of shit? Yeah, it happens on every single person. And it even happens... um, when uh, you might have someone either in a beat car in front of you or a traffic cop that's not as experienced as you. And especially when you're doing a blue light run, you could drop on, uh, let's just make this man up called Barry. So just say Barry's in front of you and he's not as experienced or he's not on the same kind of level as what you are. And I don't forget, I'll have people coming behind me that are twice as good as what I I were. Uh, and then when you're in a, a respond and you can see him coming up behind you, you do the same. You might be going 100 miles an hour then. And they're coming behind you, and you're like, oh, my God, no, no, please don't come behind me. And your hands start sweating, and your vehicle goes, all dynamics of vehicle goes across the road. And all it is, I just think it's because 
you, you you always try to be the best you can be. You, you can't start like you said. You ensured you want to be a proper driver, and I think they've got that thing of where when a traffic car pulls behind you, it's that thing where they can take your license, they can seize your car, they can tell you off at roadside, and basically there's nothing much you can say to them. Um, and even now, I'm not in police. When I drive down road and I look behind me, and there's a traffic car behind me. My driving does exactly the same, and I keep more focus on rearview mirror than I do looking in front of me. And I don't know what it is. It's like, like I said to you, I think it's just because you, you're good people and you just don't want to do something wrong. But it's that stigma of when it's a traffic car, it's the, it's the car that's sort of like king of the road, isn't it? It's that one that patrols the roads. But it's like I, I went to America recently. When I say recently, that's a lie because we've been in a pandemic, but um, like two years ago. And we got out of the airport at uh, New York and literally all police just stood there with submachine guns. Um, you, do you know what I mean? And they've all got glocks on them and carbines and things like this. And even me, as a Bobby, that deals with firearms and that deals with all these firearms officers. And I'm, I'm rubbing shoulders with these firearms cops 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Even me starts getting jelly legs. And I'm like, and I start walking then like a suspect carrying like four <laughs> kilos of heroin. And I keep looking at eyeballing his lad called Chad with a big square jaw, right muscly. He's only like 23 years old, you know, a proper American kind of cop. And even I'm walking across like I've just burgled someone's house. And and I just think it's that thing of, I don't know, I don't know if I, I wanted him to say, are you all right? Have you got one on you? Or have a bit of interaction with them? Or it was, just, it was just the nerves. But I think we all do it. I don't think there's anything right with it, or wrong with it, but we all do it. And I used to know when I were in a police car and I could see someone's driving like that, I'd either make an excuse to turn off or an excuse to overtake or to do, I'd respond to the nearest bump or nearest incident because I, don't, I know it's not nice. I know it's not nice, especially on new drivers like yourself. So I do apologise. <laughs> so there you are behind the car and something's caught your eye about it, right? In those moments before you even make the stop or you don't you've got the driver looking in the mirror thinking shit what's he going to do what kind of decisions and checks are going on both physically in the car with your systems but also in your head what's what's helping you make that decision that actually that car looks dodgy and this one doesn't so how it works this, this, i can't speak for everybody because this is i'm giving you my experience so when i was tutoring people and say you came to me and you were in my car and i was tutoring you in traffic i'd get in and i'd give you the observations about don't look at the car in front. Look as far up the road as you can see. So we stagger our vehicle. If I can put my hand there like that, that's one car. We're not directly behind it. We're staggered. So I'm looking directly down the line. Because I say we're in a visual car. Light, sirens, all deck all up. If Billy the criminal is coming the other way, he doesn't want to go past my NPR system. So he'll see us straight away and he'll indicate hard left and swing off hard left. They're the cars that we want to be going for because Mrs. Miggins is just going to come past you. So if you're if we're driving and we're looking at road and also we see a uh, an Astra coming the other way and it goes down up front turns hard left we're on straight up taken we're on. But if that's not happening, what we do is oh this is what I, I did. I looked at number plate car driver and it was like um, have you seen Terminator? Where I haven't. You've, what? What? How old are you? <laughs> what do you mean? Not seen Terminator? God, it's this robot from future, but it shows you sometimes it's filmed from in his head, so it shows you what he looks for when he looks around, and he's got all these data going upside and all his targets going out across and things, and he's analysing stuff. So we, I could look at, my, at the cars coming towards me and stop my provisional vision looking at, up the road, 
So number plate car driver, does that number plate match that car? Does that car match that driver? And you'll know exactly what I mean because you'll see a, um, a lady in just, I'm not categorising people, so I don't think I am, but you'll see a lady in the mid-40s, all dolled up, looking really lovely, and she's in a, a, a £8,000 range Rover boat. And you think, that number plate matches that car, matches that driver. Then you might have a Bentley Continental come all the way with a 19-year-old kid wearing a, a super bestest trackie from JD Sports. You know what I mean? No seatbelt on, he's got his hood down. Well, first thing you're going to think is, does that number plate match that car? Well, probably does, but does that driver match that car? No, he don't. Let's do a spin and go get it. So as soon as we're behind that car, that car's got two options. He's either going to pull over or he's going to go. So we're making, like you said, that rational decision in our head. What do we want to do? Do we want to pursue it or do we want to try and pull it over? If you're getting a bit worried, you might ask for other units to start coming towards area. I'm behind this car. I don't like it. There's someone around with it. Anyone else free? And your oppo might shout up, yeah, I'm four streets where I'll join up with you. So they're all coming to area. If it's just going to be a normal stop, things you're looking for, seatbelt. So can you see the belt coming across the pillar? Across? Because a lot of people plug it in and sit on it. So from behind, it looks like they're wearing it, but they're not. So if you do stop, they can get out a lot quicker and run. It's little things like that that you, you, you always think about. So you're deciding now, if I put lights on and it stops, do I pull up alongside it, put my window down? Because we've had so many cars where you pull behind it, you get out of the car and you walk into the car and you just step off and you're like, shit, you've got to run back to your car, get your seatbelt on, and it's got 500 metres on you at that point. So we normally, in, in Bradford where we worked, which is a, 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 it's a hard place to work, it's not, you know what I mean? We're not on about in Cotswolds here or this is proper crime and what you see on TV. You pull on side, right, switch off, put your keys on roof. And you'd be like, and you'd be forceful with them. Um, if not, and it was just say, for instance, yourself or Mrs. Miggins, we might pull behind and then I'd look at your point and say, come here. And when you get out of the car, say, come sit in driver's or passenger seat. So you've already got that coming down a little bit. Hang on, I, I, I'm not getting out of the car. I'm not, what are you doing? Why are you eating? It's literally like, no, come here, pal, sit in the seat. Hiya, do you know why I've stopped you? No, you just got a backlight out, that's all. So, you're not getting punished. There's no ticket. There's nothing. Just when you go wherever, get it fixed. And it's, yeah, no problem. All right, crack on, drive safely. And it's everyone's tread on the same level, but that level is defined on the respect they give you. So you could get out of the car and have someone like yourself. You could get out of the car and have someone who's been doing 15 years in prison for armed robbery who hates cops. But he gets out of the car. What's wrong? Now I'm probably all right. And you've got to meet him on the same sort of. You can't get out of the car and go, hiya, can I? Hiya, can I? Can I, can I get you in car? Because first thing they're going to do, they're going to be in control of the situation. So you're already done your, your vehicle checks. They might say it's insured, MOT, taxed. They might see if it's been involved in any instance, it's got any intel on it. They, they'll know everything about your car, and we know it all, but before you've been stopped. And then what they can do, if it comes through to, just say it comes up with Sean, um, address at so-and-so, I can say, can you do a DVLA check quickly? And if you're not on systems for anything, They've already put your driving license through. I've already been told that you've got a driving license. You've got this, you've got that. So I've already got that information before I get out of the car. So if you've been involved in something bad, I'm always aware of that before I've got out of the car. And then only other thing then is you've got to decide how you approach the car. And this is what I always used to tell people I'm training. If you approach the car as a passenger and I come to your passenger door and it's only you, I'd probably knock on windows, lean down and say, can you just come out of the car? Have a quick word with you and we'll come back to car. If there's four of you in car, I'll stand between the door and the back door. So I'm against the pillar. So it's hard. If you want to put the 
win it down, knife me, shoot me, or grab me, it's hard. And you've then got to turn around to try and speak to me. You're in an uncomfortable position already. So I can see your hands, I can see your legs, and I can see passengers. It's all about controlling the situation. And it's all about being one step in front. I'm thinking, before I stopped you, this car's going to make off. This car's known for drugs. This car's known for violence. There's four people in it. One of them might be armed. One of them might be wanting to kick off. So as soon as I'm getting out of the car, I'm not naive. The police are not naive to get out of the car and think, this is going to be a walking park. We're always, always switched on. And just back to what you said saying before, if you look at some things in America, that's why they're always, where they stand, they've always got a, 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 like a, either a 10 and 2 position. One always looks sideways, one goes passenger. So he's watching the driver, passenger, and the other one's making contact. They've always seemed to have their hands on the guns because they're ready for conflict. They're ready for, they're already in that higher state of wanting something, not wanting something to happen, but that higher state of something's going to happen. Where in England, we're always in a higher state of something could happen. It's not going to happen, but something could happen. That's why we're more always more relaxed. And we have had instances with guns, a lot with knives and things like that and bats. But in England, it's very, it's not very rare, but it's very, um, people don't like to give police a kick in or don't like to assault the police. The only people that do are normally drunks when you're in a fight outside a pub and they'll lean in and give you a kick. But when you stop in a car, the only people that actually want to fight or hurt you are proper, proper hardened criminals. And they'll do all to get away. Other people will literally, even if the burglars, and we've dealt with them hundreds of times, they'll do what they're asked to do because they know we can take cars off them. If we take cars off them and prosecute them for something, something very simple, they get so many points. They'll get so many points, they'll lose license. If they lose license, they're disqualified. Then if they do drive, they know they're going to go two shots and they've got prison again. So it's all about taking those little pieces away so they'll know, right, if I'm going to go do a burglary and I need to be legit in my car, so, or I need to be a legit driver. So then they'll get out of the car and they'll answer as many questions as you want. There might be a bit hard questions, but yeah, we're always trying to be one step in front when we're stopping you. With that mindset of being one step ahead, whether it be when you've seen a car, four cars away turn off and it just doesn't look right, or you've stepped out of your car, you're having a conversation with a driver and they're doing everything possible to present themselves as a, a good citizen who's doing nothing wrong. I imagine over the years you've built a sixth sense that even though everything looks just about right, you can tell something's not right. Can you think of an example when that sixth sense has been correct and something has gone from a very routine stop to something that you thought, shit, I didn't see that coming? There's, uh, there's, so, there's literally so many. Um, I can't, I, but I'll, I'll give you one example of one thing, that my sixth sense where I didn't act on it rather than I did act on it. But there's so many things where when you get out of a car, you know something's wrong when you're talking to people with the answers you're getting given. Because we feed you the questions. So I'll give you an example now. You just answer the questions to me now. I, uh, what's your name? Sean Spooner. Right. I didn't know I'm going to say my surname already. Nervous what's in front of me. What's your day of birth? The 11th of the 12th, 95. Who's the car? It's mine. It's yours. Who owns it? Uh, I do. And who are you insured with? Admiral. Right, Admiral. Have you got any proof for your documents? Have you got anything on you with your name? Anything yeah, I got, got my wallet. Got my uh, insurance on my phone. Where are you going now? Uh, I'm off to the office. Right. What's office? Where's that? Uh, it's in Abercunnan. Right. Where's that? Though? Whereabouts? Uh, just off the roundabout up here, actually. Right. Is that right? So who's his car again? <laughs> right. Like See how you're laughing now. <laughs> See how you're laughing. So when we're talking to someone, we're thinking it's not right. We've fired so many quick questions, they start to confuse themselves. 
That's really interesting. When we're firing stuff, and it's not just me, it's my oppo. And I might be on one level firing about you being nice or who's his car, so-and-so. And he might throw, do you know you've got loose battery? Do you know you've got this? Do you know? And then he's trying to talk and they're tying themselves up in knots. And that's when you start to get a feel for, mm, and you can see him getting a bit jittery. You can see the legs start to, the, 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 the hands are, or they're putting hands in the pockets a lot. What, why, are you, why are you getting nervous? What, we've just stopped you. And that's the difference. We don't do it with people like yourself, but you know when you, you you know there's something there's something not right, and that's how it works. You're playing, and you're you're up on you. You're on exactly the same page. I don't have to look at him. He doesn't have to look at me. He can hear the conversation I'm having, and I'm I can hear the conversation. And we're trying to basically confuse the criminal's mind because what they'll do is they'll tell a lie. And let's just say, for instance, it's the mate Roger's car, and they've got no insurance. So who's, who's car is it again? No, it's James. You said it were Rogers. Oh, no, well, John. And you said it were Admiral. I think it's Admiral, but I've got no. And then they'll say, they'll give the date of birth, 3rd of May, 1976. Well, how old are you? 32. That makes you 44. <laughs> uh, hang on a minute. And it, you can see the brain start to revolve. But I'll give you an example of when we should have acted on something and we didn't. <clears throat> we're on patrol one night in traffic car. And you know cars. You, you're quite... Up to up to level on cars, and there's some cars you see, some cars you sit, don't see a lot. So we're driving through Shipley, and uh, we just we just do this U-turn, and just as we do U-turn, we're coming to a side road, and we, this car comes past, and we pull up behind it, and it's a beautiful blue uh, M5, brand new M5, and it's beautiful. It's about three in the morning, and I'm like, oh look at that there, and we run it through, and it comes through to a business, nothing else comes through to business, and I just say. Just pull alongside it, because what we'll do is we'll pull alongside it, we'll be talking, but rather than it look like we're looking at you as suspect, we'll just pull alongside it and we're just talking and that we'll look over and go, you know, you all right? That sort of thing. And so you get a bit of an iron driver. So as we look over, this bloke sat there, 45-year-old, stocky lad, bald, shirt, suit, tie. It looks like he's, I'm being honest with you, he's on his way to airport, because this is what you get in mornings. He's going to go to airport, he's a businessman, he's going to, Norwich on a trip or whatever, and he's set off in his M5, comes back to, uh, like, say, your company or whatever it is. And we sat there thinking, and I'm like, it's three in the morning. Why are you wearing a suit? Why are you, where are you going? But we're, we're talking ourselves out of stopping this car. And then at the same time, there's a, there's a there's a robbery coming in now at Barclays Bank in Bingley. So we're like, what? And it says, yeah, gentleman's got a still saw and he's cutting doors. He's trying to come, come into the bank with a still saw. Three in the morning. And... But what you don't realise is what they were looking at, it was so like delayed on camera. So we spin car around and we're flying completely opposite direction. We're about a mile away. Yeah, he's putting still sorry back of a boot now at car and he's making off his in a, a blue M3 or M5 registration number. And the, and we're like, fucking hell, that's that car. So we turn around and he's gone. But what we should have done, we should have acted. We are, But we both knew, but rather than being a, a peak of, it goes to a, you know, you've got a grade of 100 and some of it goes in, uh, it's green, orange and red. It was just in orange, but it wasn't really in red. And you're thinking like, let's be honest, we've got bigger fish to fry. We've got, you know, there's something going to be going on here. Um, next day, that car was seen again in Bradford. It was pursued. It wrote off about three, four traffic cars. It was a massive pursuit. It smashed itself up and it got locked up. I think it was something like, I can't remember full details, we were part of an organised crime group from Manchester. I think it was a stolen car on false plates and they were going out doing bank jobs. And it was that one thing that 
you look at it and you've both got that, mm, what's he doing? But if you if my boy said to me, I don't like that, that would have sent me up in red and I'd have gone, I don't like that either. Because I didn't say it, my opera didn't say it, and looked at it and went, mm, yeah, it went, it was fine. But that's what I'm saying about that sixth sense. If you act on it, you 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 both you you're both not wrong. You're both right. So what you've got to do is just justify why you're doing stuff or what you're saying about things. But we might look at you driving behind you and go, no, not worth it. Or no, not worth it. Because every time we stop you, we think two burglars have gone past. That's how it works. So you've got to decide if you're worth picking for. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. We're just going to drive down the road and pick on you. If you're driving down the road and just say, for instance, you've got no seatbelt, and that's why we're like, we stop this lad. We might just pull on time. Put your seatbelt on, pal. But we're not going to waste time dealing with you because there'll be something else going on. But if we're on a burger initiative, we'll look But if we are on a seatbelt initiative, you will be getting stopped. So all this is about juggling and making sure you're stopping the right people for the right offences. And all we're trying to do is get criminals off the road. And that's why we do it. After so many years of people intentionally trying to misguide you, whether it is the simplest thing, like somebody gets tied up in knots with the questioning, like what you just did with me, uh, but they're still just trying on, even though it's clear that the game's over, right the way through to the example you just used, a criminalized, sorry, a organized crime group with a bloke in a suit, literally the, his appearance trying to misguide you, trying to blend in. Has that bled through into life outside of the police? Are you more cynical or more questioning of situations because you know people's, not everybody's, but some people's true nature? I put a, <clears throat> I put a tweet out about a year ago now, um, just apologising to people for the fact of I've categorised everybody and stereotyped everybody since um, I've, I've lost, not lost people, I'll compare it, I've not got close to certain people because I thought it'd affect work. I've not done this one. But I've realised when I've stopped being a police officer, there's so many nice people out there. Um, some people came forward when I first, oh, we'll, we'll help you do this, we'll help you do that. And like in regards to the YouTube, Josh come forward, right up, and they're, they're helping you. They don't want anything back. They don't want any money back. They don't want anything back at all. And they just want to help. And I'm amazed about the part people that I used to think the world were 95% hate crime and people trying to lie to you. It's not, it's about 80% great and there's 20% that's, but you just, your, your life is, oh, you, I'll give you another example. You go shopping at the Morrisons, don't you? Um, you're, you're getting your eggs and your peppers for your, for your tea and a, and a box of Frosties and walking around, heading clowns doing this. I walk around with my, with my partner and two kids and I sit, I see this murderer, rapist, paedophile, shoplifter. We can see what you can't see. We know these people. I, he's on briefing him. He carries a gun all the time. He's on this. He's a, he's a paedophile, that lad there. And you, so everyone you talk to when you you are in the job, you, you, you just basically you put that wall up and you're like, uh, oh, I know you. You're, you're a copper, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't want to engage people. You don't. But then those people that you're doing, that you're doing knocking back, because you don't want to uh, get past the wall. Some of them are so nice. I'm not on about the rapist, murderers, people. The, some of them are just so nice. People say, like yourself, I've never met you before. Now, me and you, we could be in a pub having a chat. And it's a great conversation. You're a great lad and this sort of thing. But before, I'd have had that thing up as in, like, I don't want to talk to you. You're not in my bubble. You're not in my comfort zone. 
you're not a bobby, you don't live on my street and you're not one of my friends, so I don't really want to know. And I don't think that's a great place to live mentally. I think what you should do, because it stunts your growth, it stunts your mental growth, what you should do is like, I'm not, don't, this is not going to sound creepy, but it is going to sound really creepy. Me and you now, we might just stay in contact for life. You don't know where tomorrow leads, do you? You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So what you've got to do is you've got to open yourself out and until you get burned by people or until they lie to you, treat everyone as they're all going to be nice rather than the other way around, they're all going to be criminals. Because I couldn't, before I came out, I couldn't trust anybody. I, I'd think to every single person, someone would come and do some work at my house uh, and he'd be recommended by so-and-so and you were a trusted lad, he'd done hundreds of jobs around the area. But I'd be like, no, I need to take death work, I don't trust you, you're going to burgle my house. And it, it's that sort of thing. Um, giving me direct debit details to Milkman, even though Milkman's been delivering milk in the area for 15 years. I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you my bank details. You're going to rob me. The, and do you see what I mean? It's like people are like, well, I, they're just trying to get on with life. You're trying to get on with your, everyone's just trying to get on. So, and I think there's too much, there's too much negativity. There's too much hate. And what we need to do is we need to relax a little bit, let more people in. With all of that so ingrained within you over so many years, um, since you stepped away from the police, have you ever been, I don't know, driving to the shop to get some milk behind the wheel of a car and that sixth sense has kicked in, but you can't act on it? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like you've seen something and you think that's that's not right, but I've got no blue lights on the roof. So yesterday, I'll give an example. Yesterday, I was coming back through um, Bradford and you won't know this area, but basically there's a long line of traffic and cars mm-hmm. coming out from your left and there were a grey Volvo coming out from the left. There were three cars in front. The white Audi's just come past this grey Volvo and it's turned in front of the grey Volvo and it's gone the way we're going. It's just, you think, you cheeky bugger. And I'd, I'd have you straight away. But as I've staggered my, I still staggered my vehicle and I looked down the road and he's overtaking cars. And he gets to a junction, he goes wrong side of the bollards, through some lights and it flows and he goes off. And I'm like, what a dick. What an absolute dick. So then 20 minutes later, I see the car again at a place called Fox's Corner and it just goes wrong side traffic and, and goes. So um, just before I take my kids swimming, I get in the van and I'm going down through the bottom of Bingley and ironically, this white Audi comes up wrong side of the road and just goes, we're all at the traffic lights, goes to the edge of the traffic lights and pulls in. And just as it pulls in, a traffic car comes the other way with blue lights on and white Audi goes. And I thought, in all the time I've been alive, I've never, ever seen a car chase. I've been involved in hundreds and hundreds of pursuits all around the area, different times of day and night and everything. I've never seen one. And that's the closest I've ever seen a pursuit. But I thought, I was like, yeah, you cheeky bugger. Look at it. Oh, cops are here now. And I, <laughs> I was like, one of those civilians, I'm like, yeah, you're in for it, you're in for it. <laughs> but it was frustrating that the fact of, I've seen it so many times, but you can't act on it. And I wouldn't want, the only time I'd act if I went road up road there and they're having a fight with Bobby, I'd pull behind him. And because I don't have to abide by being a, a, a law abiding PC anymore, I'd have just got out and given him a slap while Bobby's locking him up. You know, I, mean, I, I wouldn't have done that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 you, you won't ever watch your Bobby wrestling with so I can't, like, I bet I've been there so many times when you wrestle with someone in cars just driving past looking at you. And you're like, are you going to get out and give me an hand here? You can see him getting beat. Or you can see him struggling. I can't understand why people won't want to get involved. But yeah, that's one of the things, like I said yesterday, I just thought, I don't like that. As soon as I saw it, I thought, I don't like that. But I've got to, because of my illness, I've got to switch off. It's not my responsibility anymore. It's not my job. I've done 19 years. I've helped so many people. And what I'm trying to do is help people up there and with my mouth now rather than I can't do it anymore. And it's not for me. 
I don't get me wrong, I saw a robbery, burglars next door neighbor's house, I'd jump out straight away and, and do what I needed to do. But everything else, like this white outing, so it's not my job, it's their job. That's why they're getting paid for it. And it's, it, I, I've done my share. Um, but yeah, I see it all the time. Uh, I see people on the mobile phones all the time. I do, I, when I used to shout them when I was Jewish, put your phone down now. And they'd say something, I'd say, please put your phone down. But I just I ignore stuff. And it, to me, it, my life now is easier. Rather than having that span of, like I said, and looking right up road as I can go and looking for this turning off, I, so for me now, mentally, it's easier just to look at car in front and not concentrate on anything else because I don't want, I'm driving with blinkers and I don't want to see it. And I think if I did see more stuff, it'd affect me more than what it is doing. Does it feel like almost a weird sense of freedom then that you've yeah. you've given yourself permission to switch off from it? Yeah. I, first thing that I did when I, I left police, it's going to sound so strange, I grew my hair. You've got to, for 19 years, you've been told out of your hair cut, you've been told what you can do, how tattoos, this sort of thing. And I grew and had a right Don Johnson like mullet flick on back here because I just didn't go hairdressing. I just thought, I'm just going to grow it. I just, because I can, I don't have to answer to anybody. And it made me feel, it made me feel free. It made me feel happy and content. I just didn't have to, um, I didn't have to punish myself. I didn't have to worry about trying to get in hairdressers or, and you don't realize that sort of stress. If, if your boss turns around and says, I don't like your hair, but it's too long because it's not meant to touch your collar. So you can't touch, it's got to be shaved up from back, you can't touch your collar. Um, then you, I want it cut by tomorrow, I can't, can't find any way to get it cut, they're all short, all this year. and you're having this bit of a panic. Even little things like that, you're thinking, well, don't worry, you're only getting your hair cut, but it's not that, because you have to go in boss's office tomorrow, and you're going to get your hair struggled over coals, just over an air cut. And do you see what I mean? You're in a disciplined service, and I think coming out, that, that has left a lot of issues behind, and a lot of pressure. My health and my mental health has gone it's pushed forward and got twice as better, twice as quick without being under the umbrella of the police. So, yeah. Definitely. Something I want to talk about in a moment is your story of uh, leaving the police and what you do now. But the, the intrigue inside of me sat across from you just has to ask about pursuits, right? Because it is the, <laughs> the inner child of me just wants to know yeah. all about them, right? Something that fascinates me is the moment when we spoke about those stops a minute ago, when that doesn't go to plan, when somebody doesn't stop. Um, you're an advanced driver, TPAC trained. What's, what's the process look like as an advanced driver like you when a vehicle's making off? Um, how are you making assessments? Like, is it safe to pursue this car? Should we be going at 140 miles an hour through this particular road? Like, talk yeah. me through that process. So I'll give you an example then. Let's let's do something easy. Let's do Barry again. Barry's got no insurance. Okay, that's it. Barry's making off because he doesn't want to have it. He's got no insurance. He doesn't want to get three pounds, six pounds or what in his car seat. Pull behind it, radio through. Uh, yeah, car comes back as previously given to the tools, only no insurance. And you're thinking, right, here we go. You can see my ball in your window. Um, you, you, you've done the, I'm going to put lights on, and he just accelerates off. So, first thing I do now, I, oh, this is what I did do. Right, I'm driving a £50,000 car. Am I going to pursue his car for no insurance? Would you say yes or no? What would you do? I don't know the answer to that. I had to so, think. My happens, mind went to no based yeah. on the, the risk ratio. What happens if he's just um, done a drug deal? He's got four keys in. But what happens if the car's just been used to kidnap a four-year-old child? How do you know what he's done and what he hasn't done? So this is what you go through. You start to process stuff. Now, we always say, <clears throat> do you, 
you know, things like Ripper got caught because he had false plates in his car or things like that and he were having a pee or whatever he did. One little um, one little drop in ocean leads to catching a big fish. So um, there was, I think it were in Huddersfield, traffic had stopped two um, people on the way to, it were either the stop two National Front kind of people or Combat 18 on the way to an Asian rally or they stopped two Asians on the way to a combat. It was something of that nature. And when they opened the car and checked the car, I think there were explosives, there were knives, there were guns, there were also... So they were going to do a, like a bit of a terrorist act. And I think it only come because it said no insurance on car. So you've got to adjust what you're thinking. Now, if it's a 16-year-old lad in car, meh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pursue that. He's gone. If it's something else, back to his sixth sense. So car sets off, three o'clock on a, a Monday afternoon, troop centre of Bradford. If he starts driving like an idiot, I'm not going to pursue him. And you, you've got ratios of what you're going to do. If he's in a, a brand new £40,000 uh, top of range Ashton VXR, yeah. If he's in an £100,000 Range Rover Vogue, it's most like stolen the burglary. It's most like, so you've got to just have a bit of a thing. So what you do is, so I'll give you it now. Uh, X-ray Romeo 5-2 vehicle, failing stop, Canal Road, uh, from Shipley towards Bradford. At this time, risk is low. I'm wearing my obligations at force, tactical pursuit criteria, speed 4-0 miles an hour, increasing to 6-0, risk is low, traffic is light, can I have other traffic, please? X-ray 99 and the dog. So you just read that off. So as soon as he sets off, your vision is he's scanning left, right, up, down, left, right, up, down, left, right. And all you're looking for is pedestrians, people crossing road, cars where's his position on the, on the road so then when you say stagger you can go literally to the other side of the road so then that coming towards you thinking why is there a traffic car on my side of the road because they're if you're looking at it visually they don't see him coming towards at a great speed they just see your blue lights they're not looking at him they're just looking at, so if you cross road they're going to adjust to your car so or they'll instantly pull in yeah it's giving him a leeway out but at least he's not going to have a smash with something and you're going to be all over him you look at how he drives, you, you look at um, how his vehicle's positioned on the road. Some lads are that bad, they indicate around corners. We'll get to a junction and just indicate left and go left, and you're like, what are you doing? Because they've taken mum and dad's car, they're 18, they don't know how to drive. They, take mom's car. they don't want to smash it up, but they're just out for a bit of fun. You've got those that have just created, uh, done eight burglaries, they wanted in three different counties, so to speak, and... One of them's recalled prison for 26 years. One of them might have done a murder. We've been told at certain jobs, you do not let this car get away. You stop it by all means, which basically means we've got a car blanche to just write his cars off if you want to. We wouldn't do that because we're switched on, but you do not let this car get from A to B. This car's got 10 kilos of heroin on it. You do not let National Crime Agency involved. We've had jobs with MI5 involved. You do not let this car get from A to B. You take it out. Um so you've got to have all this going on in your head all the time. You've got a risk management. Is risk low? Is it high? How fast is it going? How fast have you been in your car? This is not like to drag yourself into mud, but how fast have you been? What's comfortable for you? What's not comfortable for you? So this is a boring answer, and I'm not just saying this because of your background. I think the fastest I've ever been is like 76, and I was like, oh, oh I don't like that. Right. <laughs> so we, we could go through Bradford City Centre in the 30 zone at 120 miles an hour. And we're assessing what's going on. We're constantly taking up feeding. We're worrying about uh, your driving. I'm then still thinking about my driving because I'm still driving this car, still pursuing you. Okay, I've got a bit of a twitch there. You know what I mean? You know what it's like driving. 
So I'm driving this car, I'm still watching your driving. I'm still doing comms. I'm still talking to my oppo. And I'm still then getting everybody else into the area. Yeah, where's Dave? Right, Dave's at uh, Otley Road. Where's Ben? Where Ben's at Owlet Road. Where's so-and-so? Now nine's coming. Nine, nine, where do you want me? And you're having to do that. Formulate your plan. Still do your comms. And the thing is, I'm, I'm chasing, I'm chasing, I'm chasing. You, you've got to be extra Romeo 5-2, extra Romeo 5-2. It's now left, left, left. Risk is still low. And there's a lad called Matt uh, who had a pursuit. And ACR, the control room, thought it would take your mic because he was so calm on radio. They thought he was just making it up. And they were like, he was literally, and we are now 130 miles an hour. And they were like, you know, and Nelson looked on CCTV and it's whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> like, How have you kept it so calm? And this is what you've meant to do because when, when have you been so excited or when have you had so much adrenaline? What's happened to you when you've done something that, and I don't mean going all on towers and going on a ride. I don't mean, when has something happened to you? Have you seen something froze? Have you seen something and your adrenaline spiked through the roof and you started checking afterwards? Do you, do you, sorry, <laughs> do you know that feeling of um, it, this? Well, we so we peak, we, as soon as we, that car sits off, we peak, our adrenaline goes straight up and then our expertise goes, no, and pushes it down. It's still there, but we're controlling it. It's like if you look at snipers or SAS or whatever, we, I'm not saying, we're like that, but you've got to control what you've been given. And you're doing things that you will never, a civilian will never, ever do. You will never feel this. If I had you in back, if, if, if side of me and I went on a pursuit, you'd probably be screaming. You'd be saying, stop, or you'd be petrified. You'd get out of here, we've had probations, be sick in car. We've had probation in nearly wet. Well, when I say nearly wet itself, he's dribbled in car. We've had people that just can't get out of car because they're shaking that badly. We've had girls that put their feet on the dashboard. And cover their eyes and just started screaming. It's just bizarre. But when you're doing it second nature, you're risking the only thing I'll ever say about this is I'll pursue anybody, but I will not put anybody's life at risk. Um there's a difference. And if I if he's if he goes into opposite side of carriageway and head on into cars, because that's what they do, I'll just say I'm abort him. But there's times when they're going opposite carriageway and think, right, maybe I'm gonna follow him. I'm going in opposite carriageway myself. So there's, there's times when you need to take that car out as well. You need to pay it. We're not taught pit manoeuvres, but we, we accept that we do them. So we've got to decide, uh, do I ram it? So have you ever been in a car crash yet? I haven't. So we're in a car then at 30, 40, 50 miles an hour to the side, pitting it round, then ramming it sideways, pushing it up a road. And you can hear metal bending, tyres screeching. You can see look on the face. I went nose on with an Audi S3 that had been stolen in the burglary nuclear. I went X5, I rammed it head on. Um, other car rammed it from behind, doors open, and three got out, completely dressed head to turn back. Black gloves, black balaclavas, black hoods up. And to me, those like tourists. It's just what you'd expect a lone shooter, a tourist to um, wear. I didn't even think about it. I got out of car, run at him, rugby tackled him at the floor, got on the floor, yeah, I gave him a slap, cuffed him at the back. Um, and then we pulled his body clover off, and they were only like 19 year old lads. And, but then when you look at it from outside, the lad that I knew from school were filming it on his phone. And he said, as soon as I saw these lads, my, my knees buckled, and I thought, I'm going to get shot. It's a proper tourist. It's what you'd see on TV. And then when you go home, then you're on night, you're like, Christ, yeah. If that were America, they'd have shot him. It was that, that much of a situation. But to us in English, please, like, whoa, foot chase, whoa, get him on the phone, give him a slap. And I just think there's 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 a massive separation issue between doing your job and 
being in reality. And we we do his job to the best we can do, but we never realise until you get home that, hang on, he could have had a knife, he could have had a bomb. So we've got to um, assess that every time that vehicle makes off. And we always say, they always say, what what's the reason for stopping him? Well, if he's just seen us and he's made off, well, that's not really a good reason. But if we, hang on, this could be connected to a rape, this could be connected to an abduction, it, it could be Bradford's most wanted, it could be a terrorist with a knife in, gunning back, he's going to stab him. So you've got to justify what you're going to do. And you've got to justify, do I do a pursue? Do I take that out? At the same time, he's doing your comms, looking at your oppo, realising where you're going, driving at high speed, watching their vehicle, feeling your vehicle. It's not an easy task. So with the pressure of doing all of that and indeed everything we've spoken about so far, like making immediate assessments about everybody around you, having to control huge amounts of adrenaline, the moment you step out of that car, having to deal with, frankly, shit that nobody else can deal with, right? That is why we phone the police. Yeah. All of this must, and I know from watching your YouTube videos, does have a real human impact on yeah. police officers. Now, I'll let you take over here because I already know the story from watching YouTube, but I think it'd be really interesting to hear the story you tell on the particular video we've spoken about and yeah. give the idea of the metaphorical backpack because I think it's a really... A really interesting and a really important concept. Can you talk me through it? Yeah. So, uh, I've, uh, so 19 years in job, 15 in traffic, and uh, sudden deaths where you're going to uh, people that were they've gone black. You're having to pick them up with shovels because they just put them in bin bags because there's there nothing tangible around. So, uh, job after job after job. There's no light up. Every day is negative. You're just getting big, getting you know, getting fights, getting tackled, getting injured, and it's negative. Um, so. I were at the top of my game. I mean, I'm not lying about it. I were at the top of my game at the time. And a New Year's Day, run with Dad. And after New Year, I was saying, your mum went into hospital last night. She's uh, having an operation. Um, we think the stomach or a bowel web has burst and it's poisoned her. So she went into hospital and as simple as I can put it, she, 11 days later, we got told we need to take her, take her off ventilator and she's gone. So I got called in in the morning. Uh, with my brother and my dad. Um, I outlined what I did to the doctor. The doctor said, basically, she crashed at night. So to me, that means she's died at night. So the pumped are full of everything they can do to get us there, just while we get there, to say bye to her and they can turn the ventilator off. Round my mum's bedside, um, I nodded. We all said goodbye, give her a kiss. I nodded at the doctor, flicked the switch, and she went, she went with a couple of seconds. Um, so I take that on my shoulders as though I've I've killed my mum, and I know I haven't, but I made the decision to switch my mum's life support off. My brother was there, my dad was there, but it, it was my I'm the copper. I, this is my job. This is why I do what I do. I'm paid for this. It's like being being your brothers in SAS, and you, you've got to go on a shooting competition. Well, you're not going to give it to you, your brother who works in local butchers, are you? Or works in Asda? You're going to give it to your, your other brother who who's a SAS killer. That's his, so that's your job. So my job is to take his burden on my shoulders. Um, I, I don't think I, I handled it right well, to be honest with you, because I, 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 when I look back now, I'm more struggling with mental health, but when I'm talking about it to you now, I didn't know I was struggling with mental health. I was, I was fine. I was like, yeah, Ben, ben the copper, the, the interceptor, the whatever it is. Um, we buried my mum, and two weeks later, first day back at work, I'm sat... Uh, at a place in Shipley called the Branch Pub Car Park and they shout up for these traffic cars to go to a job. 
There's no traffic cars nearby. They're all at far sides of the district, but they are making their way. So the control room knew about what I'd gone through. They knew what I'd done, and they knew my first day back at work. And I wasn't working alongside my team or with another team. And they said, can you go in first instance? It's a child knockdown. Now, me being a dad, I'd want someone to go to, to my kids and look after my kid while I got there or something else happened. So you put up, uh, like I said, with police, you put aside you as your person, you put aside your personal feelings, your personal life. You are paid to go do a job, so I will go do my job. It were only 200 metres away, I think, um, as the crow flies. As I drive around the corner, if I get upset, bear with me. If I drive around the corner, funnel the traffic going in, road bends down to the right. I start going in and control, shouts for bend, don't go, don't go, it's a fail. Two-year-old kid. I drove around the corner, and as simple as I can put it, two-year-old kid's been going down on the little push bike thing down side road, gone between two packed cars and straightened the wheels of a 44 ton Arctic 18 wheel lorry. The lorry's gone across the child's chest and head, and just, there's nothing left. Uh, I get to the scene, and um, I get out of the car, and everyone's like, as you said, you know, traffic career, it's all sorted out, police rear, this is what we call. I look down the road, there's, a, there's a, this little body in the road, little boy. And, and then what gets me is, you are, are, you a, are you a dad, Sean? No. Right. How old are you? 25. Right. So, yeah, you've got a bit of time yet. So, when, you, when, you, when you're relaxing, your hands have got this little resting position if you put them down. So, my daughter's, it's same um, little baby hands that they like. So, this little lad's lying in the road with his little hands up, making little converse shoes on. And it just, my daughter were exactly the same age of time. And uh, I just I just started crying. I just started crying at the scene. Never happened to me before. This shouldn't happen to me. I'm Ben, I'm this, I'm that, but it doesn't happen to me. Started crying, um, radio up for assistance. Um, started trying to walk to a little boy. Uh, and this is where I confused myself. Now, I can't remember if I've covered him up with my jacket. I think I have. Um because I think I applied for a new jacket. I know it sounds bizarre. You've got to go through this protocol for getting new clothes. And when I was trying to go towards him, it was like I'd been pulled. I've had dreams where you've been stuck or pulled backwards, sucked in treacle. You've got a big rubber band around you, pulling you back. And it was like I, I, every time I tried to walk, it was getting every and every and scared. And I felt this this tightness across my chest. And all I can describe it is it's a rubber band and you're pulling and pulling and pulling. And you know the feeling when you're stretching a rubber band and it snaps. And it clicked, it just went, it went in my chest and I could feel. And then I, 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 I'll say to you now, I, I, since that click and that rubber band going, I've never been the same person. I'll never be the same person. I got removed from scene, backup came in, something. I got I got removed from scene, got told to just go back and do paperwork, sign an office crying on my own. No one there, no one to cuddle me, put their hands around me, tell me what it's done um, to me. And then next day, same thing. Just come in, like you said, clean slate, new canvas. No gets talked about. Fail, 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 and it goes on and goes. You've not even I've not even dealt with my mum yet, and the circumstances around my mum where people might take um, if someone's mum died, it might take two, three, four, five years. This is two weeks after my mum. Bang, 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 and it's just hitting me, pushing me down, down, and I'm not realising this. But as I was saying about the uh, the analogy with rucksack. So I treat it as though, um, and this is for everyone that's listening, everything that you go through in life is a, a major event, such as moving house, having kids, buying a new car, getting financed, and it's all 
it's all good stuff, but it's all things that lead to you being the person you are, going down the path you've gone down for your experience. So if that's a good thing or it's a bad thing, you're still carrying it with you. So I've got this book rucksack or backpack on my back, and I'll put that in. And you're meant to have, just say, for instance, in a normal man's life, you have your buying a house, getting married, having kids, getting a car and finance, getting a job, probably getting fired or getting made redundant or leaving the job. And then that's it. You're going to be in your 70s. Then your parents are probably going to pass away. And you, you've only got those five things in your backpack. Your backpack's light enough and it's good and you carry it around with you all the time. With everything that I was seeing for 19 years, my backpack were getting, all I can describe it as rocks. And every time I went to something, it were getting a rock in it. People Picking people up with shovels, putting them in bin liners, going to uh, people run over by trains where there's, you can't see a finger from a toe to a head to an ear. And you're trying to fingerprint people to get ID. Just goes in your backpack. So every day, rather than having this light backpack on your back, and you're going to gym with light backpack, I'm pulling this sack now behind me with these stones, and it's getting heavy and heavy and heavy. So with my mum, um, with my mum, my due to the amount of shit I've seen over uh, over 19 years, with my mum, that basically my backpack couldn't get any heavier. I was dragging it along. I was tired. I was getting lethargic. There's only so much you can pull it. It makes you it makes you off your diet. You're not sleeping right. You're having night terrors. You're waking up. There's people in your bedroom. There's tangible people in your bedroom. You're waking up. Your partner, kids in the next room. There's a bloke stuck on your bed looking at you. And you're like, "Fuck!" Getting out and trying to. Wreck. There's no one there. There's dead children on your floor in your bedroom. You can smell blood. You can taste blood. If you've never been around a dead body or a fail, uh, when you watch all these films and they knock on a door and they open the door, good. Uh, no one's in, let's go upstairs. You can smell it. It's like, um, you know, when your mate has a barbecue and you can smell barbecue in there, you go, ooh, that's a barbecue smell. There's a smell for death. Now, that smell for death is like diesel or oil. It stays in your clothes. So you could walk through a house where someone's died, then 20 minutes later in the police station, you can smell it on you. It doesn't go away. You need to wash your clothes. Um, so there's a smell for death. So I'm waking up with this smell. This, I, I'm covered in blood. I could taste blood. Um I'm pulling this backpack. This backpack's so heavy. It's weighing me down. I'm going to work in the morning. I'm so tired, lethargic. There's nothing else can get in my backpack. And I got this kid in, kids are on the floor. So not only am I doing that now, I've got nowhere to put this rock with this in my backpack with this. So I now have to carry my rucksack that I can't pull and keep this kid lump under my arm. So everywhere I go, I'm in Asda, I'm carrying a dead child and I've got this rucksack on my back. Um, Within six months, my dad says, I've got terminal cancer. My dad's my best friend. I've got terminal cancer. That Christmas, we hold his hand, me and my brother, and he just dies in front of us. We, we, we look after him and dies in front of us. I have some time off, back to work, fail, fail, fail. Assault, fail. Car crash, fail. So now I've got a backpack that I can't carry because it's too overloaded. I've got a child death under my arm. I've got my dad inside of me carrying him. I've got nowhere else to put anything. And I don't realise this. This is not, I'm coming to you every day, how I look now and everything. And it all it is, I go to a simple bump with Baby Ben, my apple, on rule lane. Um, and I remember I remember getting to the bump, but it's really, how can I put it, it's really fragmented. Um, 
And I just opened the car door, got out of the car door. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was going on. I knew I, I were in uniform. I knew you were a police car there. People were asking me questions. It just gone. So when they say you've had a mental breakdown, a mental episode, you, you flipped, ding, ding, cuckoo. However you want to put it, you've lost your marbles. That was the switch that goes. Um, straight to uh, my GP, referred me straight to the mental health unit. They put me onto a, a, a specialist advanced care unit. Um, they put me in contact with NHS. And basically, I was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, severe depression, anxiety. Coming for someone that basically, if you said up to me and I said, get a grip yourself back, no wrong with you. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, this doesn't happen to me. This is, and then basically, they said, you've not dealt with what you've seen over 19 years. You've not dealt with your mum. Then you've been thrust this little boy. Don't forget, people might see one dead body all lives. You, you, ours have gone into hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands. These people have been trauma, they've been ripped apart in cars, they've been crushed to death. Uh, the heads, arms cut off. You're picking legs up off the floor. Have you ever realised how light a leg is? Yeah, I mean, have you ever picked someone's leg up and gone, can I, I thought I'd be heavier than this? Picking heads up off train tracks. Uh, do you know what I mean? This is not normal behaviour. Going back to nicking and making a joke about it, because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. No one wants to cry. And they all, this is what gets me. All Bobbies will say, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. But then I'm one that's cried, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what would it mean you've cried? You can't cry. Well, I have cried because I've lost my parents. I've lost it all through not being, um, it's not being done in a in a, in a, um, a normal way. Then the child fatal, then the um, all the other stuff that's been building. So there's an analogy that they all use. Uh, I use the backpack, but they always say, put it in a black box and sink it to the deepest part of your soul. Never open that black box again. That's what people say. It goes in my little black box. So if I give you that, um, the analogy of that is imagine that box is going on a shelf you've got the shelf, 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 shelf and now the shelf's full, where do you put your next black box but it's got that bad, you've overloaded it but now, and now the shelf's leaning back and you've got this stick trying to hold this shelf up and someone goes, here Ben, here's another black box and you're like, hang on a minute and then there's another black box and you can feel it all crushing down on you and um, it wasn't far off the point where I came home one day and I was just deciding which way I should do it, whether I should Top myself in the bath, hang myself, who's going to find me? What am I going to do? Do I do, I do something? Do I not do something? Am I a coward? Do, do, you, do you know what I mean? And I've got kids that rely on me, and I'm thinking, but I shouldn't have to. This is about controlling now. I shouldn't have to be a victim. So uh, 10,000 wildebeest in, in Sangeti Plains, or whatever you want to call it, Lion comes, which one does he pick? Picks the one at the back with head down, the, the one that can't run as fast. I've always said to people, you make yourself a victim by you'll do stuff. And, uh, and I'm not about, um, it's about the way you hold yourself. It's about the way you talk to people. It's about how you stand. It's about, um, that's why people don't, oh, you get off the plane, you can see a police officer walking through the airport because how he walks, because they've got that police walk, haven't they? Because they walk a bit differently, because they hold themselves a bit differently. People, well, our mugs walking through the streets at uh, Chapel Town and Leeds at four in the morning. Well, I'm not being funny, but I won't walk through the streets of Chapel Town at four in the morning. Uh, I SAS won't walk through the streets of Chapel Town at four in the morning. Do you, do you know what I mean? Just don't walk through Chapel Town at four in the morning. Um, so you can either be a victim, and I thought, I'm not going to be a victim of my own self. I'm not going to let this beat me. Um, so I'm going to try and control it and stuff, and that's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to 
um, say to I don't want any more black boxes. I want to roll my shelf up. I've got a backpack. I want you to empty it with me. I want you to help me carry it. It's my backpack. It's owned by me. But rather than having it on my back, I can have it on my front. I can I can watch it. I can analyse it. I can. And like what I'll I'll say to you now is I don't. I'm 45 next week, and I'm, I'm an old sod Um But I will feel bad for having a day in bed because this is my uh, my therapist and psychiatrist basically said. If you wake up in the morning, you know you're gonna you're gonna crash, which you'll do. That's the difference between are you gonna be there that night, or are you gonna are you gonna top yourself? Are you gonna done something stupid? Are you... So if I wake up and I'm thinking no, I can't do this today, you can't get out of bed, you can't show yourself. You literally just want to die. You pull your bits over your head. Rather than feel guilty for it, I control it. I'm going now. I'm 45 year old. I've worked since I'm 14. I'm, I'm having there's not wrong with having eight hours in bed, 12 eight hours in bed. Come downstairs. Uh, do you want pizza? Do you want this? Do you want that? Well, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have an orange and a banana. Like, you don't have to have your tea at five o'clock and your dinner at twelve. You can control what you do, and that's about it. It's about controlling your, your issues, controlling because you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of trauma to deal with. You haven't lived a normal life, and yeah, we always say like, and I never take anything from any anyone in armed forces because I think they do a fantastic job. But you have some soldiers that will go for one tour of Afghanistan for six months and come back and they've got PTSD after six months, or they might have been in army three years. Where you've got 19 years of non-stop, day after day after day after day. And then what does annoy you is the negativity that you get day after day after day and the kickings and the abuse then goes into your personal life. You go to pub, people shout pig at you. You can't go to certain places. You've got to sit with certain friends when you're back to war because you're scared someone's going to glass you. And then when you're in a certain restaurant, people are shouting, fucking get out of here, you dirty little bastard, because you're a police officer. Do, do you see what I mean? Then, like I said, you'll go into Asda and you'll be seeing a murderer, a paedophile, and so-and-so. Then people will be trying to, oh, you're that pig off TV, you are, you can stink of the loin coin. And you're thinking, like, I'm with my kids here. Half a bit of decorum. If you want to take me aside, take me down frozen food aisle and let me give you a slap. But don't do it in front of my kids. You, they're, they're only impressionable children, and they don't need to be brought into the life I've created. So you're getting that then in your personal life. And then if you do anything then on the media, such as Facebook, Twitter, or anything else like that, someone's going to pick up on it, negative, negative, negative. So you've got to understand it's a world that, that's created. So I'm trying to create a world now um, that's positive, that helps people mentally, that tells people you can do this, you can say this, you can be this person. And I talk to people now, the amount of people that I get stopped now, um, is unbelievable. I get stopped all the time. It's unbelievable. But I, I don't. I won't judge anyone now. I'm. It's like if you were a burglar, and I won't know it were a burglar now. Come up and talk to me. But hey, how are you doing? You well? How things? And because I'm not in police, I don't know who people are anymore. I'm not bothered who people are. If you're not going to speak to me there and then, don't speak to me. But if you do, you'll give me respect. I'll give you respect, and I'll talk to you because I'm just a nice person. And I want to talk to people. But if me and you sit down at the pub now, Sean, and you said how are you doing. It wouldn't bother me to talk about my health. It wouldn't talk bother me to because I think the amount of people that are dying is because they're not talking. So any excuse, that's why I do these podcasts, because any excuse I get to talk, I like to talk. Do you think there's a parallel between the the sense of duty um, and serving of others that you had for those 19 years in the police and what you're doing now? Because, and it, it seems weird to say it to your face, but it's, it's remarkable how open you are about something that is so alien to most people myself included yeah. not only do most people not deal with this stuff internally but the 
and again, I don't want to ban this word about, but it's the best word that comes to mind, the courage to just sit here and over and over and over again on podcasts, on YouTube, on whoever wants to know the story, just telling it to help people. Is there a parallel between what you're doing now and that sense of service and what you did in the police? Yeah, definitely, because I can't... It brought my heart to leave police, but it was the best thing for me mentally and physically and health-wise. Uh, and I, 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 it, it was my dream job. I mean, you could have been a kid, I want to be a race car driver. And three weeks later, you, you're Louis Hamilton. Yeah, I've got what I want here. It was my dream. I didn't want to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm not brainy. I'm not, I'm not famous. I'm not an actor. I'm not a singer. I'm not a dancer. You know what I mean? I'm not Tom Cruise. And you just think, like, I know where I am in life. I know where I'm, where I'm going to be. And so my job is to help people. That's what I want to do is just help people. It sounds cheesy, but I did. Now, you've taken away my uniform, my badge, and everything else, and my car. If, I'm, if I can help anybody without me wearing the uniform, I'll do it. And if I can stop one more person, whether it be male or female, but it's more we're trying to get males talking um, to not commit suicide because there's so many people we've worked with that have committed suicide. Um, so many bobbies that have just decided to end it. And it, it's that little thing where, where I'm saying, hang on, if I can come from op support, if I can come from traffic, the meanest, hardest, badassest job you can, one that you can think of and do all these jobs, but if I can sit there and say, right, this is my journey, this is what's happened to me, and this is who I am, why can't you? Why can't Derek, who's working in Chippy? What's what's to be ashamed about? Because if I, if me and you were best friends, Sean, and we went to the pub and I said, I need your help, I'd need your help. You know what I mean? So why would you not do it? If you're financially suffering, you'd ask for help. If you if you if your car's broken down, you've got a flat tire, you'd ring your mate and say, can you come pick me up? Why why can you not say I'm suffering mentally? What is it to be ashamed about? And I just don't get it. So as long as I can help people. So I think there is, um, it's, it, oh God, here we go. This is going to sound so bad. It's not a new calling, but it's like, I'm happy on the journey I'm on. I'm, I'm not, it's not taking anything out of me. It's not taking anything out of me mentally or physically. It's helping me. It's cleansing me. It's making my life easier to talk. I'm unloading demons. Um, and then people, and this is bizarre, people like the fact that I talk. And I, I, don't, I don't get it. It's just, it's just bizarre. Like, can you, can you, like yourself, can you come on the podcast just to talk? Why do you want to listen to me? I'm Ben from Bingley and I'm an ex-copper. Why? But people seem to exp or like what I've got to say. And that's what I do. I like to have those. I, I, I come on, um, I load up Twitter in the morning, I've probably got 30 messages from around the world of people saying, thank you, I've gone to my GP. Thanks for speaking out. I've spoke to the boss at work and he understands. But it, um, one, like I said the other week, I thought I was a serial killer at one point because all I ever thought about was death. I'm sitting in a briefing and all I can see is death, 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 thinking about people having throats cut, thinking about dead bodies, thinking about this. And I think, this can't be normal. But then when the therapist explains it to you, all you're doing is you're thinking about your own mortality. You're thinking about all the things that have affected you in the past and things that don't want to happen to you or your family. So you start overloading yourself with thoughts and visions and stuff like that. But if someone before, two and a half, three years ago, had sat me down and said, this is not right because of X, Y, and Z, you need to start doing this, that, and other. I'd probably left traffic. I won't be here now. I'd still be in job. But there's no one there at that time. And that's what I want to try and lead. I want to try and push forward the fact of if you are struggling, you're struggling for a reason. It might be your marriage is breaking down, something wrong with your kids or whatever it is. But you can still put your hand up and say, right, I, I, I wanted someone, this is not me being, I wanted someone like me two and a half years ago to say to me, 
stop it or you're gonna you're gonna end up hurting yourself or you're gonna end up destroying this or whatever. And I'd have listened and I said, All right, these are the symptoms, your tiredness, your letharginess, your nightmares, your night terrors, being distant from people. You have you got a backpack? Oh yeah, I've got a backpack, yeah, yeah. How heavy is it? I can't even lift it. Well, that's, you've just said it there. Get to your doctor straight away. Why watch my backpack? Right, I'll tell you what your backpack is because you all feel it. You'll have one when you're walking into office in the morning. You just one night, oh, I'm just a bit tired now, a bit bagged off. Start looking a little bit deeper. I'm 25 year old. I've got this, 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 this. There's a little bit of this. I'm getting on one night. I can't sleep. I'm tossing and turning. That's all signs of little bits and bats. But yours might be, for your person, yours might be right little. But what I would carry more ginormous because of what I'd seen and done. But it's all about handling it and being right for yourself and just doing the right thing for yourself as well because you only get one chance. This isn't a dress rehearsal. And if your brain doesn't work, your body doesn't work, does it? So what is the answer then? I saw that you met with the Shadow Home Secretary a few weeks ago and the the community that you've built on Twitter and YouTube of both police officers, but also those who aren't in the police. Everybody yeah. seems to be singing from the same hymn sheet, which is that we as a society seem to have a broken contract with the police because we ask people like you and your colleagues to go and do shit that we would never do. And yet in return, there doesn't seem to be that support. It, it seemed to take you uh, an awful lot of um, soul searching and introspective work by yourself with the help of a therapist sure, but by yourself to arrive at this point yeah. is there a, a systematic change needed to help people currently in the police do this sooner uh, yeah I think uh, the, the way I'd look at it and this is why I've said it I, I think the police have lost a lot of and I don't mean the police in my shorts I just mean the police I think have lost a lot of um, respect from the public and it's nothing to do with anything apart from I think the the, and I said this years ago, the, the police brought it on themselves because what the, I, I'm not on about officers, I'm on about the organisations, because our budgets were all cut and things like that. This is why I do it. You, you don't ring the fire brigade when someone's going to hurt itself. You don't ring the fire brigade when you're lost or you want a taxi home. You don't, do, do you know what I mean? Mm. So we got to the point of there were phone calls coming in. I'm, ah, I'm out in Bradford and I'm pissed. Come pick me up. Yeah, no, no money for taxi. Yeah, we're not tax service. Right, I'm going to hurt myself. You've got duty care. So Bobby's would turn up then and get him in car and drive him off. And you're thinking like, there should have been a, no, we investigate crime, we deal with crime and we protect life and limb. That's it. This is not our responsibility. You are a grown man. But then they're scared that if he goes and tops himself, then it's like your responsibility. And it's not, it's not, you know what I mean? Mm. So I think what there needs to be, there needs to be a clear format of where the police are the police. And because there's all this thing of like kill the, like you said, the kill the bill things and this sort of thing. They, they seem to be, the police now seem to be um, either an escape goat for everybody and to tell you, you, these are British citizens. If we went to war, like we did in First World War, Second World War, if we went to war, it's Britain versus somewhere else. But if we got attacked by aliens, it's mankind, the independent states, mankind by by aliens. These are your, these are your people that live on the same street. These are people that grew up in the same areas. And why are you attacking them? What they're doing? They're just doing a job. They're trying to feed the wife, the kids, and everybody else. They need people need to get a grip. But the police needs. I think they need to change the way they look at dealing with things. Um, and the, I think the police inside themselves need to realise as well. It's a job that isn't norm. It's a job that um, one of the main things needs to be. I can't look after you, Sean, if I'm not looking after myself. So it should be these. Uh, I'll I give you. I, 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 I've, I've seen. Um, I've seen film *Lethal Weapon*. 
I've seen very few films. We're going to learn this today. (laughs) But anyway, it's a film, Leaf Weapon, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, made in, I think, 1984. Long time before you were born, man. Um, But in the film, uh, Mel Gibson's a bit of a nut job. He's ex-war, martial arts, sniper, on edge, you know what I mean? And Danny Glover's the normal cop, and they're sort of rubbing against each other because one's completely and utterly, I'm going to to throw myself off a building, I'm, I'm on edge. So they've got a psychiatrist in police station who always comes up to him and says, look, is there anything we can talk about? Is there anything we can do? This is in 1984. We're in 2021, and we don't have a psychiatrist or a therapist in his police stations. We don't have a nurse for the officers. So man steals grandma's car, beats grandma up, goes on a joyride. We have a pursuit with him, get him out, give him a slap, take him into cells, and there's a nurse there to check over this man's, are you okay? Has the police hurt you? Can I, is all I can do for you? You know, do you want your bum bum wiping? But then, other way around, I've just been to a two year old fatal. I come in at Nick, there's no one there to look after you. Where is that support? Where is that institutional um, cuddle? Because you're seeing things that you've got no knowledge of how to deal with. And this term of, no, you just deal with it. No, you don't. And the bosses that say that are the ones that probably flown through ranks in at such a young stage and haven't seen half of the things that other people have done. So if that's done in 1984, why haven't we got that far now? Why haven't we got that far where you can go in a police station and say, have you been, Ben's been to this two-year-old fail and it's not right? And then they come in straight away, right, come with me, straight in the office, and they sign you off, right, go on for two weeks. But they're not. If you want to have time off, I've got to take off my leave. So I've got like 50 hours to use a year, whatever it is, and now I've seen a dead kid. Now I've got to take leave. Other than I take leave, I've got to go sick. If I go sick, it affects my sickness criteria and I'm booted out of traffic. So no one goes sick. It, the, it, so they're all dealing with their own ways. Where it should be, hang on a minute, you've seen a lot of stuff here. You, you, so I think that's what they need to do. They need to not toughen up the stances, but toughen up where they go with things. Um, and then, like me and Home Secretary, I'm about putting a, a sorry, Shadow Home Secretary, I'm about putting a covenant in. So basically, when you, every year you've got your bank cuffs, every year you've got your driving profession, every year you've got your X, Y, and Z, do rape trade on so I think every year what you should do when you first join police, you need a, a week or whatever on mental health training, but not one of these boring classes where uh, Gavin comes in and you know in his grey sweatshirt and he's eighty-four year old and he talks about stuff that happened like when phones weren't invented, but proper proper interesting stories, proper delving into this thing all day and why we do things to keep all these new professions interested. Then every year sergeant inspectors need to pass a course two-day-long cars to be able to act up and be in control of a team of 20 officers. Because one of those officers can come to you and say, my boyfriend raped me last night. Uh, I'm being bullied by this person at school. My house is getting taken off me. I can't do this. And as a sergeant, you can't just say, well, get a grip with it, because that's the routine we have now. Sergeants are literally, I need time off. I'm not feeling well. I'm feeling suicidal. Get a grip yourself. And that's how it is at the moment. It's there's, it's very old school at a certain level. And there's, there's change trying to be made, but... It's not coming fast enough. And these are things that don't have to cost any money. It's not about budgets. It's not about, yeah, getting a therapist or a psychologist in, yeah. Um, but you can lose different things. You can cut into budgets and sort all that out. But I think that's where it needs to be. And it needs to look after those officers because the, the more, since I wrote the book, the more officers come forward now is unbelievable. It's sergeants and inspectors of West Yorkshire Police alone. Sergeants and inspectors. I've had over 100 bobbies alone in West Yorkshire Police saying, they're struggling, but they're not being taken seriously. I know one Bobby himself that went to buy a rope at B&Q to hang himself. 
and he got there and it would click and collect because it was um, COVID and he hadn't clicked and collect, so they turned him away. He says, if he had done it, he'd bought a rope and he'd kill himself. And these are, and people saying this doesn't exist. We'll say it doesn't exist, it's not my problem. But when all these lawsuits come through, when all these people are, are hanging themselves saying, I turned up to you and I went, I need help, and your sergeant turned me away, that's not my problem, that's their problem. But look at all this, all the parents that are going to go because their son's going to die or all the kids that are going to grow up without a dad or a mum because they're going to commit suicide. And it can be dealt with so easy. And if I can, after my two years, come to where I am now, why can't you? I, I, I won't want to go into the police station because I just don't want to do that how I am at the moment. But if someone turned around and says, right, Ben, you could work nine to five, Monday to Friday, and we'll pay you 40 grand a year to sit in the police station and just talk to people about mental health, I'd do that. I don't, who, who would do that? That's a that's a corking job, you know. I've, I've got no training, but I'll tell you about me. I'll tell you about my problems, and I'll, I'll release some demons from you. But those we're standing on. Um, someone explained it to me earlier on. Is it in seventies and early eighties about when people turned out to be uh, gay or whatever in certain institutions, and we're like we couldn't deal with it. But now it's gone past that, and it's dealt with, and it's all it's it's the norm. Um, religion, um, uh, integration between religion in, in, in jobs and disabled uh, um, disability acts and things like that come in. So, so, so in a wheelchair can go get the same job as someone who can walk and we just need that level now where it's not frowned upon. You are not a second-class citizen if you've got a mental health issue. You are not a loser. You are not. All you need to do is you need to just meet, talk and be open. And I think that's, that's a massive thing to say to people. Do you think that the work that you and those around you are doing is bringing us to being on the cusp of that change taking place? I see so many people talking about the book. I read the reviews. There are so many people that are helped by it. And then the YouTube where you just do this, you speak openly and honestly over a million views so quickly. Do you think that this is a conversation that's long overdue and now that you're leading the charge, it's almost inevitable that change will happen? I hope so, because I'm not the way I am now. I'm not afraid to stand my feet, and I'm not afraid to tell people how it is. So if I, I was sat there with Shadow Home Secretary, and it was really bizarre because I just says I never thought in two years' time from when I retired or whatever that I was sat with you. And he went, "Yeah, you just don't realise how where things are." So I said, "Well, but you do." I says, "In two years' time, you could be walking around as the way of a pack of mac on, and well, he's eating digestive biscuits. Ed's gone." And he went, "Well, yeah, because you just never know when it's going to." And I says, "It would never happen to me, so don't ever sit there and say it's never going to happen to you because one little thing." You could, I'm not, I'm not saying you're a woodshop, but you could come home and find your dad swinging from a rope or whatever. And then next thing you know, your business has gone, your house has gone, your life's gone. And you're living out of a car boot somewhere in Sainsbury's car park, you know what I mean? Eating cauliflower raw. You don't know what's going to be going on with yourself. So don't ever judge those people. So I will push and push and push. And I don't care if I get a door slammed in the face, but it seems like it's not. It seems to be opening doors. I didn't ask, oh, look, Shadow Home Secretary's coming up. Can I have a meeting with him? He's asked to have a meeting with me. And I'm like, what? So, hang on. So, they're talking about it's in Parliament. They're watching my videos in Parliament. It's, this is this is bizarre. I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm, I've got nothing. I am a nobody. Why are you watching my videos? So, I spoke to Josh, the video creator, and we're, we're on the same. We're going to start doing the podcast. We want to get people in. I'll give you a rough idea. I'm not saying we are, but, you know, say if you could get someone in from uh, the, the Manchester bombing, or you could get someone in from some sort of issue where you can learn about what the police, fire and ambulance have done, where you could find out about the victims, the support that's being held, then their mental trauma and find out what's being involved with them. And then the, the more you can push forward, you can stand there and say, right, 
no, we want this to happen. We want that to happen. All these people can't be wrong, can they? You can't tell all these people, well, no, you're lying. This, 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 no, get a good piece of it. It's there and just sort it out. But everything that we've and sort out, it's not about spending money. And that's what I can't get to people. It's not like Andy's Man Club yesterday. Andy's Man Club started out because of um, uh, a loop. And then obviously it's gone and it's a big company now, but it's all self-sufficient, runs it back itself, supports people all over England. And it, it's all because of one person. Say, one person saying, I'm going to make a change. So don't, not you, but don't tell me we can't make a change. And then ne my ne next book's coming out hopefully in uh, June or July. We're going to be May, but I think we're going to put it off a little bit. June or July. And it's about, obviously, more stories, dealing with mental health and other things. Same sort of narrative, but obviously just d different. I, I don't want to repeat the book. I want to do something slightly different. But I'm not going to – and to me, like I said, a million views. To me, like Josh said, you never know. In six months' time, you might have 40 million views. It might be going worldwide. We're on about going on um, Sean Atwood's and Jack May and things like that and all these other play people that I had no idea about until I've had to do all this research. Run about doing all these things, but like I said, if you can get on them, you know, who's listening to them? Who's listening to this? You never know who's listening to that. can make that change and take that switch for you. So I think the more people can get involved, then the the more people can talk to the, the 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 things we can do. And it's not, I don't know how you treat me, but have I been overbearing? Has it been comfortable? Has it been fun? Well, if it's fun talking about mental health, why can't we just do it? You know what I mean? Bringing a few police things in a way, a few police stories and Stuff like that. And as long as this doesn't happen to me, sorry, this doesn't happen to other people, what's happened to me? Those probationers coming through doors now, naive, wet behind ears, 23 year old, ah, I'm in my uniform. And then literally thinking, right, you might have 16 years in job here before you crack, you might have 24 years in job. Look after yourself. This is not, and I've spelled, I've spent the message to Chief Constable, I just do not want this to happen to anybody else. And I won't stop until it's, it's sorted out and it's done. So, but I think, I think one thing I did push were the fact that I wore on interceptors and that I got a bit of a following from that and then that helped with it. And I think one thing snowballed into a snowball to another thing and it's pushed them pushed forward. So basically, if anyone is listening, that's part of it. I just want to say thank you for the support I've been given and I won't stop until change is made. I'm excited to see where you go with it. Thank you for coming on and having a chat, Ben. Uh, I'm going to make sure that your book, Handcuffed Emotions, is linked in the show notes below because I'm sure that people will want to go and get it. If people want to find you elsewhere, where can they head to? Uh, who can come to me address if they want uh, I'm in frozen section of Aldi in Bingley <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter so it's uh, BS underscore Pearson um, if you want to look on YouTube you just type in YouTube Ben Pearson or Ben Pearson Interceptor uh, and that's it at the moment we're just having a bit of a configure where we're going to go with other things whether it's start some websites up or start other things up because I think it's getting a bit too big for me to just comprehend myself so I've got a brilliant mate called Josh who's helping with things and uh, a lady called Sophia and Molly. So I'm just going to see where things go. But if it's getting to a point where videos are getting watched in Parliament, we need to start upping this game a little bit. And, you know what I mean? Getting a bit of a joint force in hand. So yeah, thank you very much, Sean. Amazing, thank you. No, thank you.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.